Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Snapshot, episode 57. I'm Brendan Patrick, joined always by Marvel Snap Phenom, KM Best. KM, your week in Marvel Snap, sir. It's been a solid metagame. I'm happy with the metagame. I, uh, I, I, I have a theory, all right? I'm going to advance a theory. Are you ready for the theory? Mm-hmm. Whenever destroy is good, the metagame is good. All right. So it's not like a correlation. It like, but it is an observation based on destroy has basically been the same deck forever. Mm-hmm. It's a deck that is easily accessible, so that helps, right? But also, there are a, like destroy has the I guess I would say dubious honor of being probably the best of what I would describe as like the pre-con decks mm-hmm. like where you just put all the cards the game wants you to run into a deck and it's like oh that's the 12 cards that synergize with this thing that i'm doing right like oh okay i'll do this right and like she knots an example discards an example or it's like uh, I, like if they were to sell pre-constructed marvel snap decks with the aim of like here you spend 40 dollars and you get a deck that you can play and it's actually pretty good those would be the decks right and maybe they'd be like, you know, fancy pre-cons, right? Like battle decks or whatever. I don't know the, <laughs> I don't know the terminology in card games nowadays. But those decks where it's just the best version of a keyword in the game. Destroy. Mm-hmm. Discard. Floating energy. Like, it's not a keyword, but you get where I'm going with that, right? Mr. Negative. Right. Like when a deck like destroy is good, that means that all of the other sort of pre-con decks are only slightly below it. And that means when it's good, they're playable, which means the meta is a little bit more open. Mm. So destroy being good is indicative of a, would you say, a lower power metagame in general? Because, yeah. So if destroy is able to be competitive, playable, uh, a reasonable deck pick, then there is no ridiculous outlier that currently exists in the metagame that's just going to force everything else down yes yes awesome well i mean that's good to hear off the back of <laughs> off the back of blob you know coming into uh, a better meta i know some people in the comments were very excited about this meta you know mentioning playing center yeah. control uh and things of that na- nature so it's good to see i mean i'm happy when they hit these otas right right and we we get the intended result of a shaken up metagame and a more diverse metagame at that so good news how did the uh, how the twitch drops go this time oh i didn't stream very much uh i did a couple days and then I was like, I am slowly dying. So I am just like, I'm thankful for the Twitch drops, but the the schedule that they enforce is really tough, I think. Yeah. And because I know some people are incentivized to do those like much, those very long streams, like 24 hour plus or just around that range. How do you feel about Twitch drops now because they are so frequent? Is this, uh, is it a net positive or would you like them to go to sort of a, a, a lower I cadence? I will never turn down Twitch drops. <laughs> yeah. Happy with it. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, we used to, when Twitch shops originally came out, um, there's a problem we discussed on the podcast. Not really a problem, but a side effect of Twitch drops, which was the viewership tended to sort of aggregate at specific channels and not really flow downwards at all. Is that still happening? Still true. Yeah, but still uh, true. what can you do? I don't know. I don't know. I was going to ask you. Nope. <laughs> I can't do anything about it. That's just how Twitch works, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it is. All right. So. One thing else in the news that uh, is not related to Marvel Snap, but I do think is relevant for us to talk about this podcast is the, <laughs> just to be hyperbolic, the death of Rune Terra. So Rune Terra, uh, off the back, I don't know if it's completely off the back of you know the riot layoffs, but Rune Terra is shifting away from their PvP model, um, shifting away from organized play. They're moving to a more PvE focused model, um, which is, I mean, we don't, pl- I don't play Rune Terra. I'm assuming you don't either. <laughs> I think it's overall. A net negative for the industry, though, because Runeterra was setting the bar for a uh, somewhat free-to-play card game. So, it's, yeah, uh, it's I unfortunate. Mean, I mean, that, not, not somewhat. Like, that game was free-to-play. That game was very, very free-to-play. Uh, I don't want to have an uninformed opinion on this, though, right? Because, like, I've been seeing a lot of people, you know, saying, well, this is proof that, you know, you can't just, like, I, I, I guess I've been seeing a lot of people, like, purposefully misconstruing each other's points, right? And I think my take on the Runeterra thing is this. It is not proof that 
you cannot have a more generous model than Marvel Snap. Okay. It is not proof of that. It is proof that you probably cannot have as generous a model as Runeterra did. And I know a lot of Runeterra people are like, oh, well, they didn't advertise it right. Oh, they mm. didn't do it. And it's like, no, they did. Like, they advertised the game pretty well. It is a Riot game. It has an inbuilt advantage. It is a good game. And then they'll say things like, well, they didn't monetize it right. They didn't monetize their whales right. And I don't know. Maybe that's true. But, like, all I know is when I would go to the Runeterra section of Twitch, there would not be a lot of people watching it. Like, I, I, I don't know if that's because of the game, which to my mind was like, if you asked a bunch of card game players to make their perfect game, what would it actually look like? And it would look a lot like Runeterra, but that's a very small audience as opposed to one that actually has mass appeal, if that makes sense. Like, it's, it's a game yes, for yes. people who are good at card games, who understand card games, and that's who it's for. And, and I think... I don't know if that's the problem. I don't know if monetization is the problem. I'm just not... Uh, I don't know enough about this stuff to be able to tell you. Mm -hmm. But what I do know, and I do suspect is that Runeterra was able to be generous because it was hooked up to a money hose. And that saying, oh, you should just monetize like Runeterra was always kind of a dumb thing to say. And now it is like, you know, slightly more dumb. I don't know. Like, I already thought it was kind of dumb to say, oh, yeah, just monetize like Runeterra. It's like, well, that that won't work. Like... Yeah. There's I, a, I don't think it's I don't think it's like an indictment of anything, though. And I do think that we very much should be clear about what can be better about Marvel Snap and how to make the game less predatory, less exploitative and easier to get into. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot to unpack with the Rintera thing, which we won't do on this podcast. because It's not a Rintera podcast. But my biggest question. No, it's a flesh and blood podcast. <laughs> Yeah, some people are going to laugh and that that was a good one. Uh, the biggest question for me when it comes to Runeterra, and when it comes to Runeterra monetization, a lot of people said, hey, look at TFT. Why couldn't Runeterra monetize like TFT? But in the lead client, and also like TFT has this like premium cosmetics, this like gotcha type of cosmetics where you're rolling yeah. and stuff. I'm like, they should have done that. Um, and maybe they should have. Maybe they would have changed things. Nevertheless, my but question like TFT, is- TFT, like, it's not like they put TFT in the lead client and it became big. It's like TFT was big and it was in the league client, right? Like, it's not like a, it's not like a, like, oh, just put anything in the league client. It'll be big. I don't, I don't think that's how it works, man. Like, I do, I'm sure it won't help, uh, but like, yeah. I don't think that's how that works. Um, I don't think it works. I'm sure it wouldn't hurt, I should say. Yeah, I don't think it, um, I don't think it works directly like that, but I, I do think it, it would have, nevertheless, I don't, I don't really care that much. Um, but I do think it would have helped. Uh, my biggest question though, moving away from this is, can you have a card game? Um, which is monetized, you can say even monetized uh, significantly, that doesn't make you pay for cards specifically because um, that's my biggest gripe with monetization in card games. Like I'm okay with any sort of cosmetic monetization, uh, battle pass, season pass, things like that. But is it possible to monetize outside of power specifically? Can you monetize via pure cosmetics? I do not believe so. I, I mean, know. if this was if this was a world where we were trying to break even, then maybe. Yeah, but it's not like these are companies who have investors who demand year over year returns. And so there is no market for, you know, steady profit. There is a market for <laughs> growth. You have to show growth. And. Uh, that's not even to say that I think you could necessarily get a card game to steady profit just monetizing off of cosmetics. I, I think when you look at Runeterra, it's like they had every inbuilt advantage they possibly could have. And th that said, I don't want to make it sound like the whole Runeterra thing is a monetization thing, because like, again, it, it is a game that it had and I played it for a little bit. I, I was like, I don't know, like top 16 or something. In like one of the earlier seasons when I, when I played for like a month. I don't know. Um, It's a good game. But it's for card gamers. Advanced card gamers. Like it's for 
a market that I don't know if it has enough mass appeal. Mm -hmm. There's complex things going on, different spell speeds, the spell mana mechanic. These are things that are appealing to people who understand the imbalance in other card games and view Runeterra as a fixed version of that. That's who those things are for. And so I don't want to make it sound like this is a monetization issue. One of the major things that happened when I played Runeterra was I was just like, this game has no sizzle. I don't feel anything while playing this game. I am just playing a game. And, and I think I would contrast that with Marvel Snap. I would contrast that heavily with Hearthstone, which has the most sizzle. Like, <laughs> And part of the reason I ended up wanting to play Marvel Snap was because I knew it wouldn't be like Runeterra because of the team that was making it. They were so they were on Hearthstone so focused on making the game feel good that it was an enjoyable experience. Whereas Runeterra felt like it. I guess my thing is like if you like puzzles, you'd probably love Runeterra. Hmm. Yeah, but I, I don't <laughs> think that's enough of a demographic for the game to succeed on. And so I, I ultimately, I don't think we can really draw too many conclusions out of the monetization issue because it's like, well, yeah, it monetized really well, but it was attached to a game that basically only existed to serve highly invested card gamers. So what does that mean? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's interesting. My my biggest issue with Terra, and I didn't play much of it, to be honest, was uh, for some reason for me. Uh, it felt too slow. I felt like I was waiting around too long. I was waiting for my turn. Yeah. I think that I could. I think I could be completely ignorant saying that too. I could have just not understood the mechanics, not given it the time of day, which is totally valid. Could be an imperfect opinion, but that was my takeaway. Was I was uh, I was waiting around too much. I was like, this is boring. Um, but I know because there's no. This is the sizzle issue, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel fun. It feels like doing math homework or doing a puzzle, and like certain people love that and will be really into that kind of game. But I do feel like there's a reason Hearthstone remains at the top where it is. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason Marvel Snap has been so successful. And I think it's because they focused on the feel of the game. When you look at the biggest card games out there, the ones that the only one that I don't think focuses on how the game feels significantly is Magic, which is a legacy brand. Yep, that's true. Like uh, everything Yu-Gi-Oh, you could argue, again, also a legacy brand. If you are introducing a new card game, there are, as I understand it, two success stories and it's Hearthstone and Snap. And that's the same team focusing on the same things. And yeah. even when you look at something like Flesh and Blood, the pitch of Flesh and Blood is the vibes. Mm -hmm. It'll feel like, you know, old school magic. Yeah. You can have that back. It's a vibes pitch. Runeterra has no vibes. Yeah. Flesh and Blood actually has the most casual uh, pitch. And it's funny because it, it has it definitely has a, a reputation for being a hardcore game. Right. Uh, but it. The flesh and blood pitch is actually very, very casual. It's to role play as your hero. It's to play. Com well, Glenn said it on this podcast, and he actually kind of nailed it. It's to play commander, but one v one. Yeah. For me, it doesn't like, feel like that, but that's the pitch. But <laughs> it's it's a it's it has a concept and a vibe that it is trying to execute. Yep. Whereas with Runeterra, it always just felt, I won't say empty, but like, why should I care? Oh, yeah. What do the different factions allying in my deck mean to me? What does that alliance get me other than just, oh, these are how we're going to do colors in this game, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what do I get from that? What contribution does that make to me that makes me understand something and connects me to this game on a deeper level? And... The answer is basically just you had to get really into the lore. Apparently, Runeterra was a very, like, yep. good source for lore in uh, the Riot world, which mm -hmm. is like, yeah, I mean, like, it makes sense because, like, you can, you can see that someone, like, identified that and was like, okay, how do we make this matter? But, like, that's the thing you should think of first, Yeah, I feel like. When you look at Snap, the way they do everything visually is unbelievable. 
Yeah. Cards are very flavorful, too. I mean, I'm sure Rintero was as well. I'm sure Rintero had flavor with the League of Legends champions and their abilities, but... uh, They did. I mean, Marvel Snap, the cards, like, they kind of... Obviously, there's a lot of exceptions, but there are a lot of cards where you're like, okay, what does this card do based off the, my limited knowledge of this, uh, this, you know, the superhero? And yeah. you might be actually, you might be able to guess the card. Like, they're very, very yes. flavorful. Like, there's an immense amount of flavor, and I guess I would say flash in Marvel Snap. Yeah. Like, without putting too fine a point on it, it's brighter. There's more things that happen on your screen. It's fast. Like, it's fast. When as fuck, I played boy. Runeterra, it felt like washed out. That would be how I would describe it. Yeah. And if there's like, it's going for like a more serious self-contained vibe. I get it. But I do think that like when we talk about what limits mass appeal, right? I don't think you can wholly say that it's a failure of the monetization model when I honestly do think the game itself, you could argue, was at fault in Mm. terms of who it was appealing to and whether or not it could have mass market appeal. Right. Yeah. And... Uh, this is just me talking out of my ass, but I do think that like, you know, I thought I thought it was stupid to say just monetize like Runeterra before. Right. I still think it's stupid, but not because of this. I already thought it was stupid. Yeah, I, uh, I so I I had not encountered the argument too much. Not that I didn't know it probably existed. But well, uh, you don't post in the discord very much. You're not, <laughs> my, a, you're not a not a dedicated discord warrior like I am. My biggest a- uh, my biggest question is, like I said, is like, can you have a card game where you don't have, where you don't have to pay for power? Um, no, that's my answer. No, I wish you I'm could. A- I wish the game pieces themselves did not cost money. That That is my that is my great wish. But it might be. I think the only way to do that would be if that card game was as big as Fortnite. And I don't think you could ever have a card game that's as big as Fortnite. That's yeah. my basic. That's my basic pitch. The reason you see these giant ones, these giant games being able to monetize on cosmetics is because they verge into real world group dynamics. You have that sick skin and you tell your friends at school about it. Like it is a real world status symbol in a like minor context, right? Like not to mention they gamify and make it like gambling as well. (laughs) Yes. Like this is a like this is. This is the kind of thing that actually impacts your social life as like a 13 year old or whatever, getting the right skin on Fortnite. You think it's the most important thing in the world and it's the most important thing in the world because you can convince yourself as a dumb 13 year old or whatever, eight year old for all I know, that your friends will like you more if you have it. And mm. there's no way that you can hit that level of mass appeal with a card game. Like you just, you just cannot do I it. I mean, man. like let's say, let's say Magic was as popular as uh, as Fortnite. Maybe having that Junji Ito Doomsday would make you the badass of the group. I would argue yes, but <laughs> maybe. I mean, maybe. like, like, but it is. It's one of those things where it's like I'm sure a lot of the people listening to this did play Magic at the time and were able to like flex cool cards on their friends. It was like. Imagine if that little friend group was the dominant subculture. Like, imagine if everyone in school played that game and what that would do to how you could monetize that. Yeah, well, I, I, it, ha- it, it happened to an extent deal. with Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! If you grew up in the uh, early 2000s, yeah. like, those, nobody knew how to play those games, but <laughs> you definitely were, you were walking tall if you had the Charizards, you know? If you had the, uh, yeah, the Dark like- Magician... And until like and it, it, it just seems like that's kind of a thing that can't happen with a digital first game that isn't mass culture. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, it's um, it's really interesting. I just want to bring it up because although it's not related to Marvel Snap is adjacent and it's uh, it's big news in the card gaming sphere. Um, would like to hear y'all's thoughts. If you played Runeterra, if you're an entrenched community member, what you think um, and what you think that it means for Marvel Snap could be nothing, to be honest. I mean, it could just be a blip, but um. I do apologize. I mean, I'm pretty sure it means nothing for Marvel Snap, but uh, it's just like a passing days discourse. Oh, yeah. it means it means Mogwai is back, which is I saw actually it. super I actually dope. Saw that. Yeah, it's that's actually super dope. I I I I I, I want to try to get him on guess the cards. Yeah, shout out Mogwai. Actually, I, I originally like I, one of the things is I never reached out to him because the reasons he quit Marvel Snap, I respected them, mm-hmm. and I was like, you quit this game over like monetization, so obviously. It would be disrespectful of me to reach out and ask you to do something that's effectively promoting this game. And now that he's back, though, I'm like, oh, yeah, 
this is the time. I can get him on Guess the Cards before he learns anything. <laughs> I've yeah, got him. Before he I'm sees the new monetization yeah, model. Yeah, before, before, <laughs> before <laughs> he figures out what the what uh collector's caches are i gotta get them on fast uh i actually tuned into your stream for like five minutes uh yesterday and yeah. he was playing only bots and like his chat was oh, I, yeah. I he was to. like hilo he was yeah. hilo so coming back he's gonna like randomly get placed in like top 50 off of beating a bunch of bots it's gonna be sick i can't wait i wanted to uh welcome him back and uh suggest we unnerf leader to its original design Right. I was like, yeah, that he, sounds he, like he a terrible lo- idea. He loves that card. He really right. loves it. And Galactus, I think okay. he was a big fan as well. Yeah, common Mogwai L. Those are those are those are terrible cards. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. No, no, no. No, yeah. He he hated those cards. He was correct. <laughs> All right. On to the bended snap. <laughs> First one is from uh Bartos or Bartosz. I sorry, I think this name might be Polish because I've encountered it actually quite a few times in, in other card games. But uh sorry if I mispronounce your name. They say, I really liked your discussion about the specific costs, three versus four versus five. I think there is something to be said about four costs being one of the most powerful cards in the game relative to their costs, in part because you have two turns to react to their impact, uh, either via tech or matching their power. The reason why powerful sixes are universally hated is partly because uh, they are final and you can't do anything about them. Fives are approaching the border, uh, this border too, as there are only one turn. there's only one turn to combat them. Okay, I've got I've got a take that's like adjacent to this. Oh, okay. And I'm just going to jump off of it because this reminded me of it. You talked about powerful sixes being hated because they're final. I don't think that's why. Mm-hmm. I'm going to I'm going to draw an analogy here. Six drops in magic or in, in, <laughs> I already ruined it. I already ruined it. Okay. All right. <laughs> Six drops in Marvel Snap. Are analogous to big dumb idiot threats in magic which is to say mm. your big dumb idiot threat you're like a giant you know you paid five green for a 10 10 and then it dies to doom blade yeah on turn six that's the equivalent of playing one guy in one lane oh well what about the other two lanes well that's that's the dies to doom blade you play one guy in one lane mm-hmm. and for this reason the best sixes have not, quote, died to Doomblade. Magneto, Doctor Doom, traditionally the best sixes, they have affected multiple lanes. They do not fall into this big dumb guy paradigm, right? They don't mm. die to Doomblade. The times in which a big dumb guy has been playable, it has been universally reviled. Those are Blob and Eliath. Where it's just like, yeah, okay, you know, it does suck that, like, it only wins one lane, but it wins that lane so hard that literally who cares? I have the entire rest of the game to deal with that, right? Those are the big dumb idiots that people truly despise. More than anything else is those cards, I think. Blob and Eli- Old Blob and Old Eliath, where it was just like, ah, I played this card, the game's over. Sorry, buddy. Yeah. No one hates Dr. Doom and Magneto. But when you get a big dumb idiot that is absolutely unbeatable in its own lane, the biggest possible dumb idiot, and Eliath, old Eliath, and Blob were definitely this, that's what people hate about sixes. Okay. Um, my opinion when is When you give wa- a big dumb idiot hexproof, or like, or like if you print that five mana and it's actually like a, a 40-40 or whatever the fuck, and it has haste. Like that's that's blob like that. That's like it's one of those where it's like, yeah, this is a limited guy, but they put so much numbers and power into the card that it is dangerous, regardless of the fact that it's a limited guy. And those are the ones people hate. My thoughts about why people hate powerful six drops um, when they exist is I think that card gamers really enjoy the illusion of agency. Um, And this is coming from a, ideology that uh there's virtually no agency in a card game card game is just players straying from the perfect form making mistakes right uh ultimately the game was predetermined from how the decks were set but when there is a card that comes down like you know in the mogwai spirit pre-nerf leader and you know that if that card hits the board you're going to lose and there's basically there's there's no granularity to that it's just like okay if they have that i lose and that 
players hate that. They hate it when it becomes extremely apparent that the game is lost and there is no hope, but they must now sit in the game either because they have to play to their outs or because they've snapped and they have to stay in or some reason like that. I think the players hate cards that, that make it very apparent that they've lost agency in the game while also Sorry. losing the game. And the, that's sort of the thing about those six drops is they're so big that there is no agency about them. Yes, you just lose to them wherever they are. And you don't have another turn that, either. <laughs> it's like, yeah, double it's the biggest, dumbest idiot. People don't get mad about losing to Dr. Doom because like he's marginal. Mm -hmm. Five everywhere. You could have played around it. You could have done something about it. You know, you could have done it. You didn't, but you could have. People get mad about Blob and Eliath because they are reducing the final turn to I need to play where that card isn't. Mm hmm. I need to guess where that is not going to be. Yeah. And that sucks. I don't think people like sub games like at all in Marvel. Well, to an extent, uh, any kind of sub games that have uh, completely changed the dynamic of Marvel Snap. I'm just thinking about the general ones like Galactus. Like people really hate those cards where they're just like, this isn't Marvel Snap. This is like some silly right. sub game. Yeah, I'm people. They're they're 100 <laughs> percent right. I am. They, they're, I stand with you, people, <laughs> uh, hypothetical people. In this analogy, you are 100% correct. <laughs> All right. Next one um, is from Jan Manro. They say, what do you guys think of making it so that instead of Meek moving at the end of each turn, you get to move him at the start of each turn if you discard a card to the previous turn? I don't like the implementation there, but if you just took it from he moves to he can move, that would probably be a lot. Mm -hmm. Like, that would probably be helpful, right? Like, uh, would that be too good? I don't know. To like, be if you were able to, if like, if you just gave him, like, okay, every time you discard, he gets a Nightcrawler text. And then if you discard again, he gets a Nightcrawler text again. Is On that card too good? That sounds really good. Um, Is it too good? I mean, that's hard to that's say. That's like a real, that's like a movable six. Yeah, it's like a one sixth that moves sometimes. That is uh, shit. That seems compelling to me. I'm going to be true. honest with you. Yeah, true. Like, like Moving right, right now times as well. Yeah, yeah. That would be a lot. That's like that's like that's not I, I. I think you did this comment commenter. I think you I think you nailed it. I yeah, if you yeah, you give him. Yeah, if yeah, I like your implementation, too. The more I think about it, the more I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, this makes sense. If you discarded a card, you can move him the next turn. Yeah, no, I'm with it. This is good. All right. W. All right, next one's from Seth Camper. They say, man, am I glad I'm an only an audio participant in this podcast after that fingernail story. Yikes. Um, just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's not looking great either, to be honest. Can I see <laughs> it? We're going to make this guy an audio participant okay. again. Yeah. Yeah. Once Show again, me. if Show you're me. a video participant, look away. But uh, yeah, so Ooh, it's like. Ooh, damn, that got worse. Nah, nah, I got better. So it's like my whole finger was like that, but now it's just the nail. It's all good. Um, it doesn't hurt your golf phase. Yeah, no. You should just paint the rest of your so nails. So I actually looked it up. Why, why don't you paint the rest of your nails? Well, because, well, I didn't really think about it like that. But also, I Googled it, and apparently it takes two to three, two to three months to like go yeah. away. Because I looked at it, I was like, shit, I mean, it's just going to be like this forever. Because eh? I don't know. Oh, how, no, 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 no. I don't know how that yeah. stuff's getting out. They said two to three months of this, and if you do like a toenail, it's like nine months or something. Yeah. Speed. The blood it. gets like reabsorbed back into you over time. <laughs> and, uh,. You didn't hear me, did you? That your headphones fell no, out? I did, no, I idea. did. I did. It was just one ear. It was just one ear. Okay. So I heard that. Yeah, the blood gets like reabsorbed into you over time. Interesting. And uh, yeah, yeah, I, it's the same way like any bruise heals, right? Yeah. I guess like, it's just more sensitive just, in the nail bed or something. There's less space for it to exist because mm. it's like constantly being pressed on. Yeah, makes sense. Anyway, it's, the rest of their uh, comment. The same reason why calf kicks in MMA is because there's such little space in the calf oh. so that with a swelling ends up hurting a lot more. Yeah, if you don't watch MMA, it's like a very fascinating aspect of uh, mixed martial arts is the introduction of the calf kick and how it's changed fighting because uh, mm -hmm. it's a lethal weapon. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's funny because when I, when I was doing... Um, I was doing Muay Thai a few years, like years ago, before the calf kick was ever popular. And in Muay Thai, they still kicked the, kick the leg anyway. I think I don't think they kicked the, that area. Um, but I would, you would always kick the thigh. That's always what you were taught. And the, the calf kick was like actually absolutely revolutionary. And it does, it, yeah, does, like, it does not look lethal at all, by the way. It looks very, no, very pedestrian. It looks so normal. It's like a combination <laughs> of absolutely brutal and extremely easy to pull off. Yeah. 
Like it's 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 a very it's a like, like if this were a game that we'd be like mods. Could you balance this, please? That Yo, doesn't people, seem like a say, fair people input say that. output ratio. Yeah. There. I've literally heard people say it. I was like, can we get rid of this? This is ridiculous. <laughs> can we rebalance the human body and put some extra space in the calf, please? Yeah. All right. The rest of their con, they say, just dropped in to say I've been listening for a year and you guys continue to kill it. Brennan is one of the most professional hosts in any podcast I've ever listened to, and Cam does a phenomenal job distilling his thoughts in real time and giving the audience something you to chew on. I'm not sure uh, if you outright said this, but I tend to agree with the sentiment uh, regarding Zabu and Shang. Might not, uh, they might have too much of a stranglehold on Snap, uh, the Snap design space. I'm not sure what SD could do because so much of the game has been balanced around these versatile decks slash meta shapers. Like many, I've contemplated a world where Zabu is limited to a one-time or on reveal or Shang, uh, or Shang deducting a set amount of power from the largest target instead of outright destroying it. Also wondered your thoughts on Snap's design space being a bit too restricted by SD's emphasis on simplicity. Feels like there could be more if slash then or conditional text built into cards without uh, turning descriptions into MTG. Anyway, uh, if you got this far, thanks for doing what you do. Always gives me something I think about on one of my weekly jogs. And he said, and thankful, thankful my fingernails never suffered so much peril. Uh, I want to talk about the middle part of that question, mm -hmm. which is, do you think second dinner's design space is being restricted by not adding like choice cards to the game? And I think the answer is undeniably yes, but I also don't think that's a bad thing. They have a vision for what this game is supposed to be. They don't want it to be something that it is not. Mm -hmm. They've actually done some sort of rule breaky stuff with choice cards already. You have yep. Nico, for example, who's like a choice card, right? Like you have those cards that do exist, but they are not something that should be normal. I remember, God, I, so the most formative card game article I ever read was by Gavin Verhey, who is now a designer at uh, Wizards of the Coast. Mm -hmm. And he wrote this shit when he was like 21 years old, and I read it when I was like 21 years old, so... Uh, but it, it was about the role of luck in a card game and what we deserve. You can probably find it on Star City Games. It's called What We Deserve. His column was called Flow of Ideas. Gavin, uh, I really did like that article. Please do. Uh, please, please notice me, senpai. Um, <laughs> but like, no, for real. It was a really good article. And I go back to it every so often when I need to remind myself we don't deserve anything. And that being entitled to a result is not a way to get that result. Yes. And I bring this up because there's actually something else that he, he wrote that I think about a decent amount of the time in the turn in the context of game dev. Right. So. And this was not in this article, I believe it was in like the article he wrote when he left Star City Games to go work for magic. Mm -hmm. And it was talking about what he thinks would kill magic. And his answer was complexity creep. <laughs> a common with a bunch of text on it that you don't understand that you really have to get. Yeah. Uh, like just like uh, a. Honestly, if you're going to be real, a lot of what has happened to magic recently has been like I will go back and I will look at that article and I'll be like, damn, man, you absolutely called it, which is weird because he's working there now. <laughs> but like <laughs> I uh, the dangers of complexity creep are that your game does not attract new players. And I think weirdly tying this back into Runeterra is the right thing to do here because Runeterra was an inherently more complex game. And so while I do think that Marvel Snap's design straight space is restricted by being mobile first and not having choice cards because of that. That is a good thing because it is what has allowed the game to succeed to this level. A lot of people who play this game do so on a computer mm -hmm. with a deck tracker and a lot of those people listen to this podcast. But the majority of people who play this game are on their damn phones. And so when you design a card, it has to be something that instantly makes sense to a dude on his phone, taking a shit, wiping his ass, hopefully washing his hands for touching his phone screen again. 
Like, this is a game that I think we have learned over the last few months of design uh, balance changes is not built for competitive play. And so when you talk about the design space being restricted, yes, undeniably, but restrictions breed creativity, and I can't wait to see what they come up with, and I do not think that is necessarily the kind of restriction that will prevent the game from succeeding when it is those restrictions that have allowed it to succeed. Yeah, it's interesting because <clears throat> uh, I actually do think the game is built for competitive play. I think that when people, a lot of people, the game is accidentally built for competitive yes. play, but but people, it's not made for that. People look at competitive play and they're like, "Oh, competitive play needs a high level of competitive integrity," which is like, you know, results. I guess you could say it's somewhat linked to consistency results, and like uh, they they attribute high levels of variances to like not not being synonymous with competitive integrity. I think that's completely wrong, right? I think that people get trapped into this idea of looking at card games and then trying to make them chess and trying to like push them into that slot when that's absolutely not what they are. And that everything that makes card games fun, interesting, and why even these people engage with them is all the things that they want to take out. Progressively, yes. Too. This again, we're back on Runeterra because Runeterra did take all that stuff out and it made it less interesting. Yeah, I just um, I think that for a game to be competitive, it doesn't mean that like the best player has to win every single time. And some people fall into the trap of believing that it doesn't feel good when that doesn't happen. But variance is actually the, the key knob of what makes a card game yes. interesting. It is the I, it is the I, pivotal knob. I stand behind what I'm about to say right now. Richard Garfield inventing lands is genius. Lands are genius. This is 1993, and he figured that out. He figured out how to add texture and depth to his game so that when you replayed it, it would not be the same. Yeah. In a so way that, that made you sense would be too, put right? in a variety of different positions repeatedly. It is one of the smartest things in the entire space. Actually genius. Like, I, uh, people that hate lands, like, dude, I get it. Like, it, it, it's, it's been 30 years. Like, we've got better ways of doing that now. Mm -hmm. I totally understand. But in 1993, he was, he, he, there's a reason that magic is the one that worked. Yeah. And that is why. And he, he is the goat when it comes to card game. Like, actually, that card game design. Game design. I've listened to a lot of Richard Garfield uh, podcasts, interviews. It's hilarious to hear him talk about the early days of Magic because that's how you know he's actually a genius. <laughs> because yeah, he was just winging it. Well, he was just yes, doing stuff. Absolutely serendipitous. <laughs> hey, Richard, why, why 30 cards? Why 40 cards? I don't know. Seemed right. Yeah. It worked. He was just cooking. He was just cooking. They, they, he, he, he went in the lab and he came out with like everything done right. And like, there, yeah, there's egregious mistakes in the early days of magic. But when you consider that it was just like one guy screwing around, you're like, okay, you know what? Ancestral recal, healing salve. Like, he well, didn't know what the word card advantage no, was. He knew. <laughs> he even said, he's like, I knew it would be broken, but I didn't think people would have 50 of them. Yeah. Like, like they have one. Uh, Max. Yeah. Uh, it's um, uh, genius. Actually, the land system as a way of introducing variance into your game, which to be clear, whether you want to admit it or not, is the reason you play it. Yes, it is. Like the reason people play these games is because they are not predetermined because of the role of variance in the game. The better player doesn't always win, which means you, you can win. suck <laughs> are going to win. You can win. You, you have a chance. Some games. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That is why people play these games instead of chess. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so just I'll move on real quick. I always want to quickly remind Mark about the land. I agree with you about lands. Ah, but I do also hate lands. I don't hate what they did for the industry and where they've brought us and everything they've taught us, but they, they, they do step on the feet of some other card game tenants, which are players should be able to play their cards. <laughs> Uh, which but is that isn't like, like but you gotta understand that's not a card game tenant when he's doing this the card game tenant is how do we differentiate ourselves from a game that is a pure skill how do we exist in a space between being chess and being 
a game where you are being roulette. How do we do that? What is the level of RNG we need to introduce? And while I think you could argue, you know, that was maybe not the, like if you had to like scientifically calibrate exactly how much RNG you needed in your card game and exactly how you would do it, you probably wouldn't do it that way with 30 years of accumulated game knowledge. But it is remarkable how close to the actual number he got. Like that is that is that is my basic take where it's like, yeah, you know, there's things you could tweak, but it is actually shocking how close he got to the correct amount of RNG yeah. just bullshitting in his bedroom. Lands it's are an amazing thing. The, uh, a card game player's opinion on lands is an absolute bell curve. Absolute bell curve. It's like the the most ignorant opinion is that lands are terrible for a card game. Then you go to the top and you're like, um, you're like, okay, they're actually really good. We learned a lot from it. And then at the very end, it's like lands taught us everything we like most things you know about car- variants in card games and developed a great baseline but we can have they're also terrible yes well like it is it is genuinely shocking how close he got on that shot like yeah it is one in a million yeah i just love listening to those podcasts and i always i always think i'm like oh he's gonna have a really detailed answer and it was really well because the mathematician is just really well thought out reason why i did this he's like Oh, no, no, we just chucked it in. It worked. You know, it just made sense. <laughs> it's like, why? But everything they did made sense. So that's why it's so good. Anyway, next one is from Vitor. They say, question for the ex- next episode. What is the definition of combo? Comma, Brendan. Well, I don't know. I literally don't know. But I'm, I never I never pretend to know the definition of combo. All I say is that the word combo in English does not des- does not adequately describe the vast diversity of decks that are existing under that umbrella. On to the next one. Taryn Lee. They say, do you think there is a balanced stat line for ongoing your triggers? Trigger twice. So all triggers. For clarification, most cards... Isn't that just long? No, that's your own reveal, right? Oh, so he means like triggers like Angela. Yes. So for clarification, most cards cards with onboard effects that aren't keyworded are triggers. Some examples are Sunspot, Angela, Bishop, Kitty, Dracula, Lockjaw, Elsa, most move cards, etc. What do you think? Most okay, hold on. The, that last bit threw a wrinkle in there. Most move cards is uh getting double vulture, double dagger type stuff seems like the exact kind of thing you would not want to allow to happen ever. Like if that card cost five and you had like that card would have ooh. I would guess it would have to be like a Sarah stat line. So, I would guess that would have to be a thing you only get one of, get one turn of. Hmm. Because I, I would expect that to be the kind of thing where if you got multiple turns of it, you would do something prohibitively stupid with it. Yeah. If it, Well, of course, the balance numbers are going to be way off on this, but specifically, like if Sunspot triggered twice, it was like, I mean, it probably wouldn't be good. I and mean, he's probably be just be on. No, but like specifically the move stuff where it's like, OK, you have this card for two turns. You like play a cloak somewhere and then next turn you go like iron. You, literally, you do like. Move all your stuff to the cloak. It's a billion power. It's like mm-hmm. 27 million power. You play dagger and ghost spider, and it's approximately like a, a, a 325. Like that, that is the, uh, that would be my worry is yeah. the move stuff there. Where it's like you, if you have two turns of that, I guarantee you can do something prohibitively stupid with it. Mm. Now, whether or not that would be imbalanced, I mean, like, if the ability was ongoing, it's probably fine, right? Yeah. Like, you just enchantress it and be be like, okay, I guess. But, like, I, I do think you would, if you wanted to be safe about that, you would cost it at five, and then you'd play it a little bit, and you'd realize, well, if we cost it at five, it's not going to do anything cool. And so then you'd just, like, shit can it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's probably how that would go, where it's like, if this is ever costed at an ability, like where if this is ever costed at something where like people would actually want to buy it, it it immediately becomes a huge issue, and I uh, I think that probably just means that it gets just thrown on the cutting room floor would be my guess. It gets it's a cool idea, but the combination of that issue and the fact that trigger is not a keyword and that's kind of confusing and like there's not really a way to phrase it to make it clear and i think marvel snap focuses heavily on clarity i i think the, the combination of those two factors would lead to me in, in a world where like i'm glenn jones i would be like eh, 
this is cool, but we're not ever doing this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, would, I would throw it in in the Mephisto pile where it's like, oh, yeah, cool idea. That's that's never seen the light of day. Yeah, Mephisto. That card, that card that still doesn't come out, eh? Well, maybe it soon. probably never will. Like. <laughs> All right. Next one is from Parma. They say, hey, Brendan Cam, another great podcast as always. It's a bit belated, but on your economy discussion a few episodes ago, you mentioned that you had concerns that the economy of the game was working as intended. Since this discussion, it's starting to become clear that it's not. Second Dinner has since added another card a month as a way to get people to spend more resources, but they also mentioned that hoarding is starting to become a concern for them as well. If you go with the price of $100 for a new card, the fact that people are hoarding and clearly skipping weeks means that there isn't uh, this isn't moving as intended because people are starting to not feel uh, the need to spend money to get cards. Well, I haven't seen anything on the bundles yet. If hoarding is becoming a problem, that means bundles aren't selling as much as they used to. I would be curious to hear your thoughts on these new developments as they relate to the economy and if it's working as intended. I, okay, so like two things. One, I don't think that's what they meant by hoarding. Uh, I think what they meant by hoarding is just like, well, I have 28 spotlight caches right now. That's yeah. what they meant by hoarding is like, there's a bunch of people like me where it's like, well, I, I there's nothing exciting for me to do with that. Well, well you have all the cards, you have all the cards though, right? Like even for, okay. Someone I like I'm me. missing Howard still actually. <laughs> well, that's a fine one to miss. <laughs> for, I think I'm missing Howard for, for people like me or people maybe in slightly not like me. Um, there's cards that I skip. Like I skip bad cards all the time, all the time. I actually don't really get a card unless it's broken. Um, to be yes, honest, yes, that's it- how you should do it. Like, I, God damn, cards are released at premium prices. Yep, which means they must be compared to the other stuff you can get at those premium prices. And I'm not saying that means you need to be like. Oh, well, instead of buying this card, I'll go buy Elden Ring or Baldur's Gate 3. I mean, like, even in the context of the game, I did a review of the Black Order cards recently on my YouTube channel. And people were like, oh, you're being too harsh on them. They don't have to be, you know, Thanos level broken. And it's like, no, they do. They do, though. (laughs) If you want to spend Thanos money on them, they actually do. And it's 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 uh. Yeah, like it, it's sort of a tough situation that the economy puts you in, I think. Yeah, what as I- far as that that not being what they mean by. Uh, uh, by the second thing I wanted to address is you're like that demonstrates to me that the economy is not working as intended. And I don't I think that. I think you may have misunderstood what Brendan meant, but when he was saying he was worried the economy was working as intended, because what he meant by that was that he was worried it was working as intended in the context of it's milking a lot of money from people and them adding a new card, i.e. another way to milk a lot of money from people, is not actually evidence of it not working as intended in the way we want. It's evidence of it not working as intended in terms of it's not working, it's not, it's not bad enough. Yes! Like, you gotta do some more. You know, it's only getting more optimized. It's only like, honestly, I, it wasn't until recently I went back into the shop and I noticed they added all those additional tags onto the skins where it was like popular and like new. I still haven't seen popular. Oh, well. It's killing me. I haven't seen it. Dan Hip uh, Dagger, actually, I think today was the, was the popular. And I was just like, damn, I just like, I feel like I'm in a simulation where like, I'm actually just like in a little test lab and I'm in this like rat colony and they're trying to figure out, make me yeah, do Tucker, weird stuff. Tucker is, Tucker is out here like pulling levers on you. If they put a 4X value sticker on something, would you buy it? Absolutely. I can't be missing on a 4X I, value. I, I want... This reminds me because like this reminds me of when I played Warcraft Rumble and like there were so many stickers like that in there where it was just like legendary value. And it's like, I don't know if that's good or bad. Hey, it's also (laughs) it's also, by the way, it's expiring in 24 hours. You're like, oh, yes. It's like, I have no idea if that's good or bad. This is great value. Is that more or less than legendary? I have no idea. And I can never buy it again. Will I ever be able to get this hero? It's like, yeah, you can actually get it in a week. And it's like nobody tells you that. And then the, there's like this bit of my brain that thinks that second dinner actually like when you look at a game like that, that Blizzard has so thoroughly like brain hack optimized. Right. And you look at a game like Marvel Snap, you're like, damn, there's not enough stickers on stuff. They're leaving money on the table, not putting like insane value everywhere. They're they're they're, they're tossing value away. 
Yeah. Negative three X value. Mm. Yeah. It's beyond the scope of what we're talking about right now, but <clears throat> I really do wonder if there will be an inflection point in gaming. I think there already has been to an extent, but you know, companies like Blizzard uh, that have just gone down such a degenerate path for just absolutely screwing <laughs> their fan base. Um, like it, I just hope it doesn't work out for them at this point because I feel like I've just been, <laughs> I really don't like, it's just been so bad. Like, you know, there was a, there is a time. Like, I played a lot of World of Warcraft. Um, I played a lot of Blizzard games. And there was a time, like, Blizzard announcing a new game was, like, one of the most just, like, magnificent, just, un I just, I couldn't wait. Because it had to be good. Now, it's guaranteed to be dog shit. Like, it's so bad. Um, yes. Yeah. I, I'm a- Dude, this is the most impassioned I've ever heard you, I think. It's you crazy. Just, you just pop off, man. What? Like, it's just like- guaranteed to be dog shit. Oh, shit. <laughs> I mean, it is like it really is. I don't know. I don't know how it happened. I don't know how they got to that point, but it's just crazy to see a company like that just absolutely lose their soul because um, they used to make good games. And I'm sorry if you believe their current games are good. Uh, I mean, I'm sure they they have their merits. And I played I played a little bit of SOD. I played a little bit of Diablo Four, and it came out. Um, it's just not what it used to be, man. It's just not what it used to be. Anyway, on to the next. Is this one. an out of season April Fool's joke? No, this is legit. Oh, you think you, you don't think, get that one? No, you don't get oh, that yes, 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 yes. That was actually hilarious. Anybody doesn't know, he's referring to a BlizzCon where they announced Diablo Immortal as a mobile phone game, which, by the way, was a criminal scam. They hope I hope they get you know attacked for ah, the future. Come on, there wasn't <laughs> crypto in it. It was, dude. That game is the worst thing, dude. There, were, like the whales in that game were hundreds of thousands of dollars. Oh, like it's bad. Anyway, someone gets up. Some so they go to ask a question. They, Liz Collin, they always filled questions to the audience. Somebody gets up. You know, they're really happy about their mobile game. They're like, oh my God, look, everybody, we're going to screw you all over. We're going to take all your money. Aren't you excited about this? You don't want Diablo 4. You want, by the way, Diablo 4 is the same shit anyway. So fast yeah, forward. Diablo 4 just had all the same. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, someone gets on the mic and like, is this an out of people April Fool's joke? And you just had to watch the guy be like, uh. Yeah. I don't know. You guys have phones, right? Yeah, you guys have phones. Um, it's crazy because like like the cultural memory of that event is like I, I bet if you ask like you know a hundred gamers when Blizzard got bad, I am almost positive that uh, you'd get a plurality of them pointing at that exact moment. Hey man, it's just incredible in retrospect over like the past few years, maybe five years. It's like look at those titles: Diablo Immortal. Um, you have Overwatch Two. Uh, you have fucking Diablo Four. Like I don't know. It's just so bad. Like what the heck? I don't know. I uh, I was never the biggest Blizzard guy. Like just just full disclosure. Like the only Blizzard games I had installed before I played Rumble was literally just Hearthstone. And I I like I just wasn't right. And I tell you what, I actually only played Hearthstone because I tried to install like Duels of the Planeswalkers on my old ass iPhone at my job so I could like do something. But my old ass iPhone couldn't run it. But it was like, oh, you might like Hearthstone. Mm-hmm. And so I played Hearthstone. That's how I that's how I started playing Hearthstone. If it weren't for having an out of date ass phone, I would not be here <laughs> right now. I would not be here. Yeah. And uh, actually, if it weren't for having a job where I had a, a, just the world's largest amount of free time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I. Uh, I so like I, I'm not really qualified to talk about like, you know, being hyped for a Blizzard game because I just never was. Well, 15 years of World like, of Warcraft will do that to you. I'll tell you. That's one of the things 15 years of World of Warcraft will do to you. Yes. Yeah, you can. You tend to have a little bit of, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, 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 does, it does a few other things to you. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it really fucks you up. But outside of that, you know. Um, anyway, that was quite the tangent. I'm sorry if, like, you, you love New Blizzard. Anyway, last thing I'll say is Diablo 2 Resurrected was a W. If you love New Blizzard, could you consider going to my stream elements and donating to me thank you <laughs> does anybody play world warcraft rumble by the way like i told i told about i, I told game about this game I was like hey there's a new game coming out you know you're a content creator maybe take a look at it and i was like i played it in the beta you for were co- stronger you were stronger about that you well, were like i think this game is gonna be really big i came back around and i was like uh don't play this game. It's terrible. It's literally, it's, it's, it's just going to try to take your money. This game will absolutely die. It sucks. Because uh, the game is fun. I, the game, it's actually, I feel bad for the game developers of some of these games because the games are actually good. But there's this, there's this sect of people 
in these businesses that yeah, says the Marvel says Snap Podcaster. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Come hey, on now. I'm trying to make a change out here, okay? You know, we talk about monetization <laughs> all the time. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I know. I can't escape it. Anyway, that that's just the new reality. Uh, we'll see. Next up. Next up. Hopeless Minds. They say, this is probably stupid. Uh, so my apologies for thinking out loud. I actually don't think it's question yeah. stupid. Cook, but King. Let's go. What if there was a one drop that made three drops cheaper or a three drop that made five drops cheaper with a downside, maybe? Why would it have to have a downside? The three drop that makes five. I don't know. Because yeah, like the three, the three that makes five. I guess. I guess. I think the thing is, it probably wouldn't do anything because the reason Zabu is good is because of two specific turns: turn three and turn six. Right? Yep. Zabu lets you double spell four drops, and also lets you play a four instead of a three. You don't have that burning need to jump from three to five. It's not. It's not the same thing, right? Like the like. This is like it would have to be like what if you discounted five drops by two, we could be talking. But that seems like the kind of thing that would be extremely degenerate, right? Like that seems like something that would be very out of line. You can't and, cast uh, 10 resources of cards. And these are like, I mean, five drops. I mean, five drops are we like they can be. I mean, did we are they game winning? I mean, can we could be dropping like two legions. Um, you would play I, Devil Dinosaur Ronan. Yeah. Or like, that seems pretty good to me. But yeah, that'd be you uh you go you go to Moon Girl cards. into no you go Moon Girl into that card into like two dinos or some shit. Bring it back. Bring bring back three cost dino. I don't know. Like I uh oh you oh no you just go like Dino Mystique. What am I talking about? Like yeah no I mean like I don't know. I think it would be. I think. That would be balanced right up until they released like one good five, <laughs> which is like that. That would be uh, I, I, I don't think it would be particularly compelling. And I think the numbers you would have to put on that card, I will say, I think it would be kind of balanced right now, honestly, because like fives are kind of ass. But I'm sure there's something heinous you can do with that, like at a bare minimum. It's turn four profits again, right? Like it just goes in some Thanos deck and annoys the shit out of everybody. Hell yeah. It's like it's like okay, great design idea, guys. Like I, I yeah, I'm a. Uh, I think actually with Mobius in there, I'm willing to let them fuck around with cost reduction. Like with Mobius in the game, I'm just like yeah, you you do you genuinely do have more leeway now. You can do it. So you know, I, I don't think it's the worst idea. I just don't think it's very compelling. Yeah, what about one drop that made three drops cheaper? That'd probably be broken, right? That feels like something that'd be like aggressively stupid. Yeah. I mean, you just be like, you just be like turboing out these things as like, because two is like way different than three in terms of like, because now you're dropping two, three drops on turn four. You're doing well, similar. is it an on reveal or an ongoing? I think that matters. Because if it's an on reveal, I like I was treating the three that made fives cheaper as an honor reveal. Okay. Just to be clear. So if it was, I was an honor in my head, I was balanced. like, that's an honor reveal, right? Yeah, at the one slot to be balanced, right? I think if you're making three drops. I mean, okay, let's say it's 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 discount all by one. Isn't that just like a little bit of a free roll for a surfer deck? Probably. Yeah. Like that's just one energy Sarah. You just got a one energy Sarah now. That's uh well, when you put it little, like that, it sounds a little broken, okay? A little broken, doesn't <laughs> it? Like it's a little good. I uh I think like I I I didn't imagine for a second that these would be ongoing abilities, because I do think if they were ongoing abilities, it would be aggressively stupid. But if it was like on reveal, get this discount, you could talk me into it. If they're mm -hmm. ongoing abilities, no. If you want to make like one energy ongoing Zabu, that's like the dumbest shit I've ever heard in my life. But as an on reveal, I don't think it's the worst thing you could ever do. Then again, if you made it an on reveal, it would just be like uh, <laughs> you'd have to do it. So like your fives cost three, so you couldn't wong it. <laughs> like if it was just your fives cost two less, it would just be like you just you just wong it and win or something like that. Or like grandmaster it or something of that nature. Right. You just go like that into grandmaster. Yeah, it would have to be like your fives cost three. It couldn't be phrased as a discount if it's <laughs> unreal. Like there, there's ways to make it work. I think yeah. it's just like I don't know why you'd want to explore that space when you could simply leave that door untouched and not do it. Yeah, Zabu's already really 
it's interesting how much probably it best warps. card in the game. Yeah, it warps the game at this point. Uh, Contradiction is very powerful, and yeah, making those uh, those four drops, three drops for the the turns you talked about is just crazy. Next one, Snow Point, Black Bolt and Stature can't be buffed. Sure, can we get plus one and Silver Samurai? Why? Why do people keep asking for buffs on the cards that suck to play against? It's like, didn't like, we just went through this where it was like, oh, we can totally buff Black Widow. It would be free. Look what fucking happened. You got her nerfed. That's what happens when you buff some shit that's like annoying and shit to play against to the point that it's actually good. Like, just stop, stop it. No, no, no. We can't get an extra point of power on Silver Samurai. In fact, the next time you ask, we're going to take a point of power off Silver Samurai. <laughs> Silver Samurai just got one power hey, lower. He would get better in Mr. Negative. Don't forget oh, that. yeah. Hell Be yeah. careful. Be careful. Right. Yeah, it's actually just a psyop to get him minus one enough that he's just OP in Mr. Negative. He's yeah. falling. Yep. Falling yep, for the yep, trap. Yep, yep, yep. All right. Next one. Yep. Uh, Kogel this. I would, uh, I would argue that there is no true four cost anymore. Thanks to Zabu. Instead, we have 3.5 cost cards, which widens their value, uh, the value gap with five costs. Sure. It's true. Yep. Yep, sure. Yeah, I'm with you. That makes sense. Zabu, that damn dog. The game fundamentally changed since that card released. It's a cat. Well, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure it's a saber two tiger. You know, but, you're, uh, you're yeah, a subject sure. matter expert. Oh, you, you get you get this one. All right, KM. You talked about the metagame being very good. Oh, by the way, I gotta say, I always forget this about the CTA. If you want your question read out on next week's podcast, shoot us a comment on YouTube. We'll get it queued up. We appreciate everyone that comments. It's our favorite kind of content to do, by far, our favorite. So we really, really appreciate it. KM, you said the metagame is really good. You're enjoying it. The metagame is wide open. Hit me with that metagame in sixty seconds. Oh, you're going to make me do it again? Okay. Um, Last time I said there were three camps of decks, it was like Thanos stuff, Cope decks, and uh, the the Zabu Miss Marvel decks. Zabu Miss Marvel, Sarah has sort of decidedly come out on top, in my opinion. But I also think that was true, you know, previously. Black Knight, in my view, has fallen off. I think people misunderstand the concept of win more in Marvel Snap. They take it to mean like a card like Scar, when what win more actually means in Marvel Snap is winning a lane by like 17 points. That's win more. Not letting you play something cheaper the next turn. That's not win more. That's a 411. Very different things. Black Knight is a win more deck. Black Knight wins lanes by amounts it doesn't need to win that lane by. So it feels stronger than it is in the actual game. Loki, on the other hand, is just doing what Sarah is doing, but slightly worse. And so Sarah has ended up coming out on top is in the Miss Marvel Gladiator Shang-Chi Zabu archetype battle. Now, those cope decks destroy, I think, is still a deck I don't overly respect at high elo, but it is a deck that is basically everywhere elsewhere and should be respected by pretty much everyone that isn't me, I think. But it's a good enough deck, which is good for the metagame. She not exists. And of course, Thanos Lockjaw, which people for reasons unknown to me think is bad, is of course still good. The default list seems to have taken prominence here. Uh, just straight up Thanos Lockjaw, where you just do Thanos Lockjaw things. You cheat energy. You, you, you cheat. Basically, that's what you do. And uh, I also really like a Nihilus Bounce, but that's just a me thing. I, uh, I'm a big fan of it still. Mm hmm. Awesome. Well, next week, we're going to be talking about the February season pass. So we're not going to have time to talk about Beta Ray Bill, the 4-6. It's coming out when this podcast basically released, so I think tomorrow evening. Um, the 4-6, it says on reveal, shuffle Stormbreaker into your deck. Stormbreaker is 0-1. It says double Beta Ray Bill's power. How do you feel about this card? You got any predictions? I want him to be good really badly, but I don't particularly expect him to be. One thing I will say, though, is that the Thor Beta Ray Bill Jane curve reminds mm-hmm. me a lot of the, you know, Dakin Dracula Modoc discard curve, where it's like this is a similar thing where like this, it's this like specific thing into the five where the five is the thing that really, really matters in the deck. And I do think that like that is the kind of thing that can work, because when you think about that curve, 
it is a lot stronger to do if you do Beta Ray, Jane, and Thor, right? Like that is stronger than most of the Modok curves. However, Modok is more of a failsafe than Jane is. Modok turns like most discard hands into good hands, whereas Jane, without having already played those other cards, is actually bad. Uh, that's a long way of saying like I'll play him and I'm interested to see what happens, but I'm not overly optimistic. And I frankly think he could have released a little bit stronger. But again, that's just from my perspective of someone who's like, all right, how do I make this a card that people will guaranteed play? And my way of doing that would be like, just make him mm -hmm. a four seven. That is how I would make him something like guaranteed play at four six. It's like. He can be good in certain situations and we'll have to figure out if those situations are common enough for him to be good. Mm. Uh, but I do expect him to be like a massive like he's the kind of card that content creators will absolutely be like, oh, my God, look what I did with this beta ray bill. Like he, he he's one of those, which is not to say he's going to be bad. Just like, you know. Be wary and understand you might need to pump the brakes a little bit, just a little bit of wariness might be required on this one beta ray bill is busted now beta uh, ray bill with lockjaw is crazy <laughs> you know like one, one of those one of those yeah yeah that's how it goes anyway um off the back of the metagame 60 seconds if you are looking for specific deck lists i highly recommend you check out km's twitter that's km best ms on twitter um if you listen to, listen to this podcast you enjoy it the number one thing you can do for us is leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you're listening, we read every single review, and it is by far the most important thing you can do. I cannot state it enough. So if you haven't done it already, you listen to this podcast, you like it, or if you hate it, leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Anyway, there's a video version of this on YouTube at youtube.com slash at the underscore snapshot. Hit that subscribe while you're there. Twitter again, KMSMS and Brendan APG. KM is streaming in the evenings. Evenings. That's what it is now. It's evenings. Yeah. Not going to stop me from saying it, baby. Awesome. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next week.